Hey, we're here for a much-anticipated episode. We've been dreaming and talking about this episode for a long time, and I think it's one that's intriguing to everybody, whether you're like, yeah, I'm all in for this Jesus thing, or you've just watched a lot of different movies on this topic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We have been wanting to this episode. Probably probably was one of the first episodes we wanted to do as we were thinking about doing podcasts together. Um because everyone is interested in the end. Uh-huh. Every blockbuster movie that comes out is like apocalyptic. It's like, I don't know, depressing, like, oh, you know, destruction. And, and so we want to talk about the end because it just, it piques everyone's interest. Is like, where's everything headed? What's the goal? What's going to happen? And so we've been thinking about this one for a long time. I think one of my first conversations I had with David was about the end. And so this is something we've been thinking about forever. Yeah, all you got to do is like turn on Netflix and you know, you have The Walking Dead and there's some other like indie ones and stuff that I attempted to watch and I just couldn't quite get through. But I, I even remember back in what it was like 99, 2000, uh, that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, End of Days. And I remember my dad taking me to the theater to see Armageddon with Bruce Willis, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, it's a topic that's really intriguing. And my guess is that whether you're all in on the Jesus thing or not, it, the, it has crossed your mind at least like once or twice. Like, so what happens to the world as time progresses? Um, in the 90s, I, I grew up in church and th- there was a craze by two authors, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And they they wrote this book called Left Behind, mm-hmm. and they had a kids series, and it wound up selling so much that they continued on with an entire series of them. And a lot of people um, would read them, and they'd get kind of their ideas and concepts of the end times, mostly based off of these books. Um, also, the book Revelation that is in our Bible, um, it's hard to understand, like. I guess Martin Luther, who he, uh, he was, the, we call the father of the Reformation, he, uh, when he did a translation out of the Greek of the Bible, he didn't even want to include it in the <laughs> Bible because he he's like, I don't see how this is inspired or how it even points to Christ the way it says it reveals Christ. Um, so today we're going to talk um, about this stuff, and we're going to talk about different ideas and concepts and. And what are I believe there's better ideas and better thoughts around this than others. And um, over time, throughout history, the conversation of how this played out, even around how you would read the Bible, like it's taken on different forms. Yeah, this is a big question. I I remember when I first uh, started falling after Jesus was in high school, and one of the first books I read was the Left Behind books. Mm. I mean, I. I read all the like big 
I guess, adult left behind ones. <laughs> and then I found all the kid ones in my mid, like public middle school <laughs> library was a whole shelf of the left behind kid books. And I remember um, always seeing them in middle school. Like, this is weird. Um, but man, that just became the way I understood. Here's how it's going to play out. There's going to be an Antichrist figure. Maybe his name's Nikolai. I don't know. Um, and there's going to be chaos in the Middle East. And there's going to be these two witnesses. And um, to, to me, that was that was how things were going to play out in the end. And that's what I hoped for. And it became like my basic understanding of the Christian hope was founded in a fictional book. And founded on what we're going to talk about today is some bad readings of the Bible. Um, and I, you're right. This does like peak interest for people. Um, you know, I used to teach, I used to teach at a high school and I taught a course on the new Testament. And even though the kids understood that we were going to walk through it chronologically, you know, Matthew to to revelation, it was always like, when are we getting revelation? Yeah. When are we getting to revelation? It was, it was always the biggest question. And, you know, I would do like, random Q&As throughout the semester, and I would get end-time questions all the time. So it's a it's an important conversation. Um, I think, too, part of it is is because our, our Christian hope, well, our Christian faith is built on hope. It's the hope for something to happen, and that means future. And so our questions are always about the future, what's mm-hmm. going to happen next. I, uh, I was raised in Colorado Springs, which we always joke is like, the evangelical Vatican, or it's the mecca of evangelicalism. <laughs> and it's where um, most of the big, outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan, it's where most of the big uh, book publishing companies and, and even some music publishing companies are. And I actually had uh, the the joy of Jerry Jenkins' organization being right there in town. And he um, led an uh, organization that was for Christian writers and authors. Um, they no longer exist from what I understand. And I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, I believe he moved to Chicago to work with Moody was the last I heard. Hmm. Um, but he actually, I, I, uh, in 2004, I moved back from Omaha, Nebraska, back to Colorado Springs where I was raised. And I, I started helping out and, and kind of participating at Woodman Valley Chapel, one of the bigger churches there in town. And Jerry Jenkins was an attendee and a member of our oh. church. So I remember uh, back, man, probably the 90s, he wrote a book called Hedges, which is kind of the basic premise and the basic idea of like, hey, if if um, if. Uh, what would they call it? The, the Billy Graham principle, like mm. basically how to set up things and decisions to kind of protect your marriage and your family um, before anything ever goes south. And uh, it's kind of fun if you if you watch the or you buy the reissue of the book, the back there's a DVD. It went out I think 2005, and there's a DVD of him speaking. And I walk right out on stage behind nice. him, and pick up my guitar <laughs> to to play. But yeah, so. Growing up in Colorado Springs, Jerry Jenkins, I mean, left behind, he was a huge influencer within our evangelical context. And so, of course, I remember going on missions trips and everybody's reading his books. And and uh, it has really influenced the way we think about the end. Yeah. I think we see with, with Left Behind and, you know, the movies with like Nicolas Cage and um, those have become kind of the basis for which most people understand as far as the Christian understanding of 
how things are going to end, how things are going to play out and where God is going. I think if you were to sit down with Christians and, and ask them, hey, do you think this is literally how it's going to go? I think there would be some wiggle room. Well, no, not exactly like that, but, but pretty close. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's almost become a replacement for a lot of the scriptural understanding yep. for, for the end. It, it, it becomes people's way for understanding through things like the Left Behind series um, and the conversations around that. That becomes the foundation for which people have what we call eschatology. Uh, which is our big fancy word for for the end, for yeah. for the end goal, um, and I think our heart and the reason we want this conversation is those are pretty detached from yeah. scripture and detached from a biblical vision, and we have seen, especially in the last year, you know, mm-hmm. where uh, bad eschatology, bad understanding of the end, has implications for the way you live right now, yep. for the way you treat the gospel, for the way you present the gospel to other people. The way you handle, even though people getting behind like foreign policy and the way we mm. work with other nations, yeah. um, our view of the end might might cause us to think that we should get behind something that mm. probably we need not to. Yeah. So this this is huge. It's not just a trivial thing as a, as a believer. It's not... Um, Man, it's 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 an important theological conversation to have because it, it shapes so much of what we do, yep. and it's one that I think either you almost have two separate spectrums. You're either so scared to talk about it because the other end of the spectrum is so obsessed with it, yeah, and you don't want to be associated with that obsessive, you know, chart building, prophecy watching. Yeah, end of the spectrum, then you have the other end that's like, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yep. Well, it does matter. And so the hope of today's episode uh, is that we can find that balance, that we can give a better vision of, yep. of eschatology, a better vision of how that plays out in our life now and how we treat the gospel. There's so much to it. I literally, in like any given week, I normally have conversations on those two ends of the extreme yeah. spectrum. Like one person, oh, no, it's all about Jesus. Who cares? It all sorts of stuff out. Yeah. And the other person's like, you know, uh, saying all sorts of stuff about who knows what. <laughs> um, one of the things uh, I want to clarify about this podcast, too, uh, we call it I Doubt It. The whole idea isn't necessarily to always be pushing into doubt on this podcast. Mm. But what we want to do is we want to reframe and continually put great theological and biblical concepts out there that sometimes what it'll it'll do is say hey we have a better way to think than some of the ideas that are out there and um, not that that not that we are the authority on these things but um, in a sense we want to say like hey some poor views of this have led us to some poor places mm-hmm. and uh, let's rethink this. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the, I doubt it part comes from, uh, I mean, both of our, our testimonies with stuff like this is we grew up with uh, one vision of the eschatology and how it was going to play out. That wasn't really built on the scriptures. Mm. uh wasn't really built on Jesus' vision and some things started chipping at it and causing us to doubt it. And we didn't stay there. You know, we haven't stayed in like uh, a deconstructed state. Yeah. We've stayed, we've moved into, okay, man. Yeah. Those, 
those conversations about the end, the left behind things, those that does seem a little weird. That does seem to miss some points. Yep. And then moving towards, okay, well, what what does that look like? So today, I think we're gonna we're gonna kind of jump in between yep. like, I hate you know using the words, but deconstruction or reconstruction yep. of hey, these are probably some things you've heard, but we don't find that in scripture. Yeah. But here's what we do find, and yep. here's a better eschatology. So today, I, mean, I don't think we're gonna give an answer. You know, we're not gonna give a. All right, everyone after this episode needs to be an all millennial. Yeah. Here's how you're going to, you know, because I think a part of our, for you and I's um, understanding of eschatology does fit within a, hey, the means for which we get there are are not as crystal clear as some people think with a little antichrist, a seven years, a yep. blah, 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 whatever. Um, but there's still some, some things we can build up on it. So. Yeah. Let's talk, you've used the term a couple times, and this this comes out of even some of the concepts we talked about two episodes ago around what Jesus cared most about, and that was we unpacked the kingdom. Yeah. Um, from kind of that framework, uh, Zach, explain a little bit about hope mm-hmm. and why this matters and how an idea of hope shapes how we live now. Yeah. Um, so with the, the kingdom podcast, and if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out. Um, in that conversation, we talked a lot uh, about Genesis 1. We even did that in our last podcast on the image of God, where the the foundation of our hope is built in from the beginning, is built in from what God had originally intended. And so I'm going to kind of bounce back between bad understanding of hope and good understanding yep. of hope. And so I think in a, a maybe a caricature of a of a of a <laughs> Christian view of of this world and, and where we're moving to can sometimes look like, hey, this this world is bad. The, you know, the world is bad. It's it's not our home. This isn't our. This is not where we're meant to be. We're just passing through. We're just strangers in a foreign land. Um, but one day, there's there's going to be a better place, and it's where God lives, and it's called heaven, and that's where we're going to go, and that's where our hope is. Is that that's home. Um, Maybe that's a caricature of the way we frame it, but I don't think it's too far off no. from from the, some worship songs, uh, from some gospel messages I've heard where it's, this isn't our home. Heaven is our home. Yeah. And that's where the movement of the Bible is headed towards. That's usually the common understanding of our gospel. I think of like um, uh, the question that gets asked a lot, you know, in a in a gospel presentation is hey if, if you were to die tonight are, are you gonna go to heaven which is also a really weird way to start a conversation <laughs> hey if you die tonight like Dude, i can't even tell you how many times i knocked on people's doors growing up and asked them that question yeah flat out. What, a, what a weird question hey do you go to church hey can i ask you a question hey if you died right now would you go to heaven or <laughs> yeah. Like yeah what a creepy oh man <laughs> anyways so but i mean and i've asked that question too to people but sometimes that's how our gospel presentations start is is an assumption that the message of the gospel is based on going somewhere else and that mm-hmm. somewhere else is heaven um, and that this world in and of itself is second rate and not where we're supposed to be. Again, strangers here, this isn't our home, you know, not of this world. Um, but that doesn't fit with the first chapter of the Bible. You know, the first chapter of the Bible is God creating a physical world, a physical earth and saying, this is good. This yeah. is really good. You know, at the end of Genesis, he says, he looks at everything he made and says, it's really good. And then he puts humans there. And so 
with those conversations of kingdom and and uh, image of God that we've had before, those combined together of God's original intention mm-hmm. was that His world would be a physical dirt and plant and water, you know, this world, and it was good, and He was going to um, establish His will. So that kingdom language we've talked about through the humans, and they were going to rule and reign. So from our conversation about image of God. And so that was God's original intention. He said that that was good. And then that plan and gets messed up by humans in chapter three. Mm -hmm. And so the movement of the Bible is not uh, God saying, oh man, plan A was not great. You know, (laughs) like planet, not going to work. Let's, let's move to clouds. Let's move to disembodied. Let's move to harps and angels. And, you know, Let's sit on that, though, because what you're saying is key for understanding, because it seems like the way I was raised that that because man messed up, it's almost like God was unaware, first of all. And second of all, it's like, oh, I guess I got to fix it now. Like there's it almost play play uh, plays off of. I don't want to question that it questions the sovereignty of God, but it, 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 mm-hmm. it's it's almost as if God messed up, so he had to come up with another plan. And I know that that's kind of an extreme way to say it, but it gets us in some weird places when we start using language like, you know, this people group was God's chosen people, but they messed it up. So, well, I guess we got to graft in the other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's almost like God didn't like plan on that from the start yeah no it definitely it definitely misses out i don't think you're too far to say it misses out on his sovereignty um and it puts him in a weird spot of like he makes this world and has like these rose-colored glasses like it's gonna go great and then it goes bad and he's like oh no, i guess we gotta blow it up what are we gonna do <laughs> you know um, let's take him somewhere else uh yeah yeah I, I i think that misses out on his sovereignty for sure um yeah so you do get the this movement of the Bible is back towards Genesis one, and and I think we're gonna probably spend some time in Revelation uh, today. But I mean, just to summarize it, you get to Revelation chapter twenty one and twenty two, the last two chapters of the Bible, and the vision that John has isn't believers disappearing and going to heaven; it's the image of heaven coming here. Yeah, and and he says it like three times in in Revelation twenty one that God yeah. is coming to His people; He's coming to dwell with them. Like He. He's trying to make it very clear that the movement is he envisions New Jerusalem, yep. his understanding of God's rule and reign, heaven, coming to earth. Yep. And so it's never about God getting us off this yep. God-forsaken rock, but him coming to this rock and changing it and transforming it. Yep. And that's the language of the Old Testament. That's the language of Jesus when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. It's It's not like the disembodied heaven that we think about that it's like, Oh, that's what he's, he's talking about heaven. Yep. No, that's, he's talking about the kingdom here on earth. And the only reason Matthew uses the word heaven is because he's a good Jewish guy who's not going to use God's name in different places. So there's, um, a couple of things that are fascinating. I don't want to really dig into this too much, but to, th- this will kind of help because maybe you're listening to this for the first time and you're like, Oh my gosh, I've never heard this before. Maybe mm-hmm. you're listening to this and you're like, Oh, this was new to me like three, four years ago. This yeah. is just yet another part of this, this building or this reconstruction yeah, yeah, yeah. of this theology. But um, if you, if you hop in, just, re- just re- read it, read it today uh, to Genesis or uh, sorry, Revelation 21, the first couple verses 
and parallels some of the language with Genesis 1. So all you got to do, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. It starts off, I saw new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. Parallel that to say, oh my goodness, like this is a completion of the story. Yeah. This isn't something different. This is a completion of the story. Yeah, John's basically plagiarizing at this point. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, they all, they all did. Good thing they didn't have copyright laws. Yeah. When they... <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It, if you read 21 22, it's, it's all earthly language of God coming here. There's now a city. Like it's it's all this language of of heaven coming to earth yep. and it being renewed and restored. And then you know, man, go read the Old Testament and read read the prophets. I mean, read what they long for yeah. and notice the things they don't say. They never never ask God to take them out of this place and bring them to heaven. Yeah, and that is often so much of our our prayer of hope is is looking forward to this heaven we've kind of put in our head of like disembodied, it's a better place, clouds, gold streets, pearly gates, whatever. Um, But if you read the prophets, their hope is always in God transforming their world. It's always, God, something's messed up here. Come and do something in our our world. Um, Read Isaiah. Like read Isaiah in the way that he, you know, talks about, I looked and, and I see a new heavens and a new earth. Like, yeah. That's his hope is always God transforming this world. They never ask God to take them off this world. Yeah. yeah and the, the continual conversation is a conversation around redemption, restoration, liberation, the all, all those words of what's happening now here. Mm-hmm. Um it's this, you know, that those things will be lifted. Romans talks about lifted from the bondage of decay. Yeah. Um that's the conversation that's happening. Again, if you're if you're hearing this for the first time, I, I'm asking you just just be open minded as we speak through some of these things, and partially um, because if if you really kind of dig through Scripture, God and you'll see over and over and the prophets over and over care more about this idea of a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, a new earth, and they talk about it more than they talk about the grave or or heaven or hell, but we, we tend to kind of have this concept, you die, you go to heaven or hell, and that's all there is. Mm, yeah. The funny thing is, is, is the Bible and the prophets and, and Paul, that's not, that's not the complete act of where God is moving us towards. Yeah. There is, and this might blow some minds, <laughs> there is not one verse in your entire Bible that explicitly tells us that when you die, you go to heaven. Nothing explicit. Like there's not a, there's, there's nothing about like Paul saying, Hey, you know, when you die, you get to, you know, you're going to go to heaven. It's going to be great. And that is our gospel mess is like, Hey, if you die tonight, you're going to go to, are you going to go to heaven? And that's not to say there's not verses of that allude to this idea that, hey, after we die, we're going to be in God's presence. You know, yep. Jesus says to the thief, you know, you're going to be in paradise with me today. And uh, Paul talks about, you know, if I die, I get to be with Christ and that would be awesome. Um, so there's obviously something about, hey, when we die, mm-hmm. there's something for us after. Um, yep. Well, as, as far as heaven, if we will, being in God's presence. But the Bible isn't about that. And there's yeah. no, like, desire to move to just that. 
Well, I, I want to talk about that for a sec because the, the, the Jewish understanding of afterlife is actually not how we tend to preach it. Yeah. So the way, and I'll, I'll say this, the way that we tend to preach it um, actually is more informed by paganistic ideas that the church has accepted um, like after a couple hundred years. Yeah. Um, what the Jewish understanding of the afterlife was, the end was actually this resurrection that bodies will be up out of the grave walking around. Um, it did talk about an in between, but it's it's in if you look in the Bible, what what I always say that there's these windows. Like you kind of got to understand the Jewish context so that as you look through these little windows, you you kind of get a picture of what it's saying and what you're saying. Like the paradise conversation, or when Jesus is talking in Luke 16 about the rich man and Lazarus. That's not a hey he dies and goes to heaven and hell. That's a conversation around the grave. But we understand. That the grave is not the end. That that's just that, that the Jewish Jewish understanding. Isaiah twenty six nineteen says, "But your dead will live, Lord; uh, their bodies will rise. Let those who dwell in the dust wake up and shout for joy." And they understood. Uh, it says, "The earth will give birth to her dead." Mm. So. Their end goal wasn't a, hey, if you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Their end goal is like, hey, you're, you're going to be resurrected and walking around again. Yeah. Um, again, we're going to quote N.T. Wright for like the third mm. podcast in a row. But his, his phrase, and it, you might want to write this down because you have to like look at this phrase to understand it. But he, he always says that the hope of Scripture is life after life after death. Mm. Yep. Life afterlife after death and what that means is we tend to focus on as believers life after death the you die where do you go what N.T. Wright is saying is that the scriptures care about what's the life after that Mm -hmm. and that's when we get to revelation 21 and 22 of the resurrection of of the dead and you see that in first thessalonians 4 when paul is writing to the this church that's worried about their their brothers and sisters who have died and Jesus isn't back yet, which is so interesting to me that they that they don't really seem to have a concept of like, wait, our brothers and sisters are dead. What's what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Where you and I are like, our brothers and sisters are dead. Hallelujah, they're in heaven. They've yeah. reached their final goal. Um, but in First Thessalonians four, Paul is trying to tell them actually, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to bring them back, and there's going to be yep. bodily resurrection. That's the hope. Yeah, if, if, if you look, uh, verse 16 and 17 of 1 Thessalonians 4, it literally says the dead in Christ will rise first. Yeah. That, like, everyone's going to rise. The dead in Christ will rise first. That is what it's getting at. One of the fascinating things, and maybe we'll dig into this a little bit more as we talk through that passage um, later, um, but... It was one of the earlier writings um, which um, was written before a lot of the other stuff unfolded that led to Revelation. So they don't really have a huge picture uh, the way like Revelation might paint apocalyptic stuff. They just are kind of taking, if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, especially right after this, they're just taking some of Jesus's words and just, you know, Paul's like just kind of piecing them together to kind of paint Mm. some sort of picture of what the end will look 
like. Um, to them, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit more, um, one of the worst possible things for it to happen, like the end of the age, is that their temple would be torn down. That's no. like literally one of the worst possible things that could happen. And what we understand is that in 70 AD, the temple was torn down. And if we frame First uh, Thessalonians time-wise, I believe, from what I've studied, that the conversations that are happening there are before the destruction of the temple. Where some of the conversations, I believe, um, like in Revelation and elsewhere, are after the destruction of the devil. So they, they come from two different contexts and understanding of what the end will or might not look like. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll probably get a little bit into the, the temple destruction in language because mm-hmm. it, it really helps as we think about um, a lot of the stuff about how the end's going to come about and sometimes we mix Jesus' words that were meant for something else. Yep. Um, I think with First Thessalonians... With First Thessalonians 4, as it focuses so much on the resurrection, um, I mean, that lends to, to Paul's concern and his uh, understanding of, of the end is it's about resurrection. Yep. That fits into his, his Jewish view of, of resurrection. And I think part of our, our miss with hope is the way that we speak about Jesus' resurrection. Um, sometimes it's framed in a way that that his resurrection was like his last ta-da trick, you know, like ultimate miracle, um, or it was the thing that proved that he was actually God. Um, those are important, but but the 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 thing about Jesus' resurrection is it points to what we hope for. Um, is that the reason we celebrate the resurrection isn't just because hey Jesus showed that he was God, or hey you know he. Uh, did one last really awesome miracle and he's still alive. It's that this is what we hope for Mm -hmm. is the way in which Jesus becomes this resurrected body. That's what we hope for. And that's why at the end, when the apostles are watching him and and the angels say, you know, he's going to come back in that same way. He's going to come back in flesh and blood. And, And that's what we look forward to is, is the bodily resurrection. I love, uh, first Corinthians 15, Um, Man, if you want to read something super awesome about the resurrection, Paul is reminding the church in Corinth about what he's already said about the resurrection. And you get the famous kind of, uh, 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 you know, confession quote uh, in 3 and 4, for what I received, I pass to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures or as some say in accordance to, um, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But if you continue on and read, verse 20 says this, starting in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as Adam all died, so Christ all may be made alive. Yeah. I think it kind of goes, um, if you listened, I think it was in our Kingdom podcast, where we kind of broke down the, the, the Jewish understanding of how they saw uh, hope, that they pictured, hey, we're living in this present time. Uh, things are bad. We look around us. This world's not what it's supposed to be. And they had this hope that this Messiah figure would come. God would uh, sort things out. 
and renew the creation, uh, that those who were dead would be resurrected, as we've seen the hope for, uh, and then the new creation would begin. And Jesus uh, kind of messes with that timeline, if you will. Uh, he moves it to where uh, instead of this clear cut, hey, here's the Messiah, boom, resurrection, it's here's the Messiah. Uh, and part of that future now breaks in right now through mm-hmm. his resurrection. That's why Paul says in First Corinthians 15, he's the first fruits of it. He's yep. that first taste of resurrection. And then as he, as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we start to become more and more like the creation we're meant to be. That's why Paul can say you are a new creation and that's what you're working towards. So I think if we were to kind of summarize what we're trying to say uh, so far as that a lot of our eschatology, um, the way that we look at the end is focused on heaven, uh, focused on getting out of this world, God blowing this whole thing up and getting us to this other place. Um, whatever you you picture in your head, you know, even if it's cartoon caricatures of clouds and streets and whatever, but that's usually our framing of hope. And what we're trying to say is, actually, if you read the scriptures, <laughs> most of it, in fact, all of it, is about resurrection, so physical. It's about new creation, uh, so this world being restored, not blown up. Uh, it's about God getting back to Genesis 1. That's why you read Revelation 21, 22, and the humans are ruling and reigning as they are meant to do. Uh, and this is what we're hoping for, and that this is actually more important than what happens after we die. Hmm. It's about what happens at the end, as Andrew Wright says, the life after life after death. So let me ask, because one of the common understandings is that this world will be destroyed. I mean, we even sing the Tomlin version of Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And that that last verse, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. You know, the the sun forbear to shine, but God calls us here and now will be forever. It's that that is a picture that is painted in many of our um, understanding of how this world ends. And a lot of that comes from, and I know that many people, if, if we don't even address this, that'll probably yeah. pop up in comment, <laughs> comments. But the Bible says, um, 2 Peter 3, the whole conversation around the day of the Lord, it talks about judgment. It talks about it coming like a thief. Um, it says in, in, in verse 10 of chapter 3, it says this. It says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. How, how do we wrestle with this according to the understanding of the idea of hope, but it, it's here on this earth? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's go through this. If you're listening and you're not driving, grab Second Peter 3, because I, I, you're right. If we don't address this, we're going to get comments and stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Peter says these things about um, the earth disappearing, elements being destroyed by, fi- by fire. Um, and so it sounds like this picture of destruction and everything uh, being blown up. But you have to understand his imagery and his language. So right before that, he actually um, talks about the flood. Peter is like obsessed with the flood. He talks about <laughs> it like more than anyone else. Um, but he talks about um, in verse verse six, he says, by the waters, also the world of that time was 
um, deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth were reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So notice what Peter first compares this to. He says um, that, hey, like that flood that happened, the earth was deluged and destroyed. Well, it, it wasn't. Like, it wasn't destroyed in the way that you and I think, like, it still existed, but it was cleansed. And th- there was certainly destruction but it didn't disappear. It didn't like God didn't bring out a new world. You know, Noah still landed on, on the same earth. And that's why he can say by the same way. So in that same understanding of God um, restarting the creation project, if you will, through the flood, uh, that's going to happen again. And so this language that Peter uses of fire uh, is is kind of the Bible uses this a lot when it talks about fire is this refining point mm-hmm. of the things that are bad get burned up and Jesus uses that too to talk about um, the wheat and the weeds and, and and this this idea of fire as cleansing yep. um, not so much as completely wiping out and so I think where Peter's heading with this language if you take his use of the flood. And his use of a biblical language of fire, it's not about uh, God destroying this world and us going to heaven. Because um, he even talks about the heavens will disappear. So if that's true too, then, you know, we've got no place to go. Um, but the language he's using here is that this is going to be refined. Uh, it's going, all the bad things, all the things that make this not what it's supposed to be, will be cleansed. And that's why he can say, hey, just like the flood where, where God saw the world as violent and wicked and it broke his heart and he brought the flood. Um, it's going to happen again. And Peter uses this language of fire for it. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to it? Um, I, you know, I, I think of First Corinthians 3 where it talks about um, mostly same thing, idea with everything that we've done, our deeds, our works, they're, they're burnt up and all that's left is gold yeah. and, and, and these, these jewels and, and these treasures. And I think that in a sense, um, a similar refining process is how uh, uh, the image of how God brings to completion and even uh, you could call it judgment, how, how that happens is that Everything that is attached to the old order of decay and sin mm. and bondage and death is just done away with. Yeah, that's why John says in Revelation twenty one that there's no more, no more pain, mm-hmm. no more suffering, no more tears. So that's that's done away with. And then the other thing too is Peter in, in verse thirteen of this chapter says, you know, keeping his promise, we look forward to new heavens and new earth. Mm. And so that would be a little difficult if God blew it up. <laughs> So um, yeah, I, I I used to see. I remember growing up. Um, there was that slogan that was like, "I don't believe in the Big Bang, but I believe it will happen." And then it just had like Second Peter three, like on the shirt. You know, it's oh, like that's so bad. <laughs> that's so bad. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I think we've done. Man, I think we've done a good job of getting towards the the end of what we hope for um and i hope that's something that you can wrestle with this is something that i it took years for this to get chipped away i remember reading a systematic theology book 
and and it was talking about new new creation. I was like, oh, that's weird. So in my head, because I was so like consumed by the going to heaven after you die is our great hope conversation. So in my head, I was like, oh, so there's there is gonna be earth. So maybe we can like, you know, like go from the heavens, you know, where it's really great, and then maybe come back to earth every once in a while. I was like trying to like fit that in my understanding. Yeah. Like I was like, maybe there'll be like this elevator where we can <laughs> sometimes visit the new earth from heaven because why would we want to leave heaven? You know, it was like Yeah. So it had took a lot to chip away at this. Um, you know, surprised by hope by NT Wright completely blew categories for me. Yeah. You know, you and I have a friend right now who's reading it very slowly and, and like, <laughs> which I love. And he is just so fun to hear the conversations about it. But this is like, you know, you know, take what's been said so far and, and go and read, go and read Isaiah. Yep. Uh, go and read Paul. And, and when you start to see the incredible lack of conversation about going to heaven after you die. Yep. And you compare that to the insane amount of conversation that we have about that and, you know, evangelical Christianity. And you're going to be like, well, this is weird. You know, why don't we talk about the hope of earth? Um, I want to say one quick little story real quick. Um, So I, you know, I work with fifth and sixth graders right now. And uh, we were doing a lesson on a Wednesday and uh, it talked about heaven in it. And I think I went through and edited the curriculum as much as I could. (laughs) Um, but I had a volunteer come grab me during one of the small groups and said, hey, can you talk to, to one of our students? She's really upset right now. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. So this, this student is, I mean, bawling, absolutely bawling, crying. And, and I, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? And she was so upset by the idea, you know, of, of heaven, of going to heaven because she wanted this idea of playing on earth and mm-hmm. she talked a lot about like the things she enjoyed here and how heaven she was like i feel bad but it doesn't sound that great it sounds kind it, of boring it sounds really boring. you know <laughs> and, it, and it was just like this real life moment of why this conversation is so important here's this fifth grader who was like mm. torn up because she just couldn't picture heaven and, you know, I think sometimes we say, oh, well, it'll be so great. That's why we can't think about what it's like. Well, it's because it's not what we're meant for, you yeah. know. Um, but and it was so cool to have this conversation with her. And, you know, here's a fifth grader. And I'm trying to, you know, tell her about actually it, that's not what it's about. It's God's going to restore this world. And so, you know, that, that place you really like to visit, it's going to be better. And it's, you know, and, and you get to go there. And. You, who knows? You know, God built this world for us to play in and to enjoy, and, and He's going to renew it so that it's back to that again. And the hope of 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 being a believer is so much better now. Mm. I think in this framework, um, it adds so much more to the things I care about on this world. Um, it, it plays into like. When I think about the end, I don't think about playing a harp and just singing, you know, mm-hmm. 10,000 reasons for all eternity. Um, I think about enjoying the beach with my wife. I think about um, getting to visit those places. I think about um, enjoying the creation. I think about getting to rule and reign. What is that going to look like yeah. in that new creation? It's so much better. <laughs> 
I, I love that because that's a that that's a very practical, like right here in my church community example of the phrases that hooked me with NT right. Yeah. With, with surprised by hope, um, I'll, I'll talk about surprised by hope again here in a minute um, before we kind of wrap up this this episode. I promise you, we're going to have a continuation, yeah. uh, <laughs> a number two, and we're going to play on some really cool stuff. Um, <clears throat> but I, I had always understood, and I'm going to use some words you can go Google and look it up, just so you can kind of understand my view of hope and heaven and stuff was very much a Gnostic view. Yeah, so it's like this yeah. separation of the spiritual and the soul from the physical. Yeah. And so it was this idea that like, hey, you know, our bodies are going to stay here and they're going to decay and they suck. But, you know, but our souls are going to fly off to yeah. heaven. And that this was my framework and my understanding. Um, and and I... It was probably, I was 19, it was 2003, 2004-ish, when I started getting into Dallas Willard, who started uh, approaching this idea of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, as the kingdom. Mm -hmm. But for me, it hadn't fully played out on like what that means for here and now as it pertains to future hope. And uh, 2007 rolls around. I'm... Uh, uh, my hanging out with my uncle Dana a lot. Dude's super smart. He's telling me about this Anglican uh, author who's the Bishop of Durham, and <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness! Like he he literally has a degree in library science. So I'm just thinking, like, this is another one of those books that that he you know that nobody else reads, but he does. And uh, he's talking about this. Well, um, 2007, um, newly married, summer 2007, July 2007, um, a recording artist by the name of Michael Gunger moves from, and his wife moved from Michigan to Denver. And they're like, hey, we're going to do these, um, these monthly worship nights. Uh, and I show up for one. Um, they, they invited me, and uh, I show up at one, and... They, uh, I, I just remember Mike setting his guitar down, picking up his Bible, and he started sharing this concept of this renewed heavens and earth mm -hmm. that's like God, God's vision of the kingdom is, is, is as the, his will comes to earth, that that is a glimpse of the future hope. And it blew my mind. And, uh, and so, uh, I remember that year picking up Surprised by Hope, and not only were people within this community bloomed that Michael was leading reading it, my uncle was also reading it. So I was like getting multiple mm. places. I lived with my uncle and aunt for a while, my cousins, and so I was getting these conversations. And then a pastor I started working with in Boulder was reading it. And I remember him him correcting me on a line that said something like, this world has nothing for me. And he's like, man, so like he just asked me a really good formative question. So how does that line in that song that you're singing, how does that play mm -hmm. into what God is reshaping in your mind about future hope and here and now. And so I want to encourage you guys, um, if you guys want to dig deeper into this, go pick up Surprised by Hope. Yeah. That was the start of kind of my um, reshaping of this journey 
of eschatology. Hey, thanks so much for listening this week. Um, uh, we'll post links in the show notes like we normally do and check out the next episode. We're going to continue this on, but we're going to get like super nerdy in the details of how we are taught that, that this all plays out and how it may or may not play out. But remember our future goal is idea of hope of a new heavens and a new earth. Thanks for listening, guys. This is my father's world. The birds, the carols race. The morning light, the lily white. Declare the maker's praise. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling. Grass, I hear him past. He speaks to me everywhere. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so. Is the ruler? This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus, who died, shall be satisfied. It's earth and heaven. Thank you for listening today. We're going to continue our discussion next week. We want to thank Reawaken Hymns for sharing This Is My Father's World with us today. You could find out more at www.reawakenhymns.com. Thank you so much for listening.